Now, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't really refer to it. Uh, but I saw that someone finally wrote a book that I think expresses some thoughts that some of us have been having is that, you know, uh, five, maybe in 2015. I mean, I noticed this when I started working at Pivotal because I was right in the uh, it, this was in the thick of it back in the belly of the beast. That, that's right. Well, it, uh, not the beast in the belly of the uh, not on, on the field of battle. <laughs> um, the wolf like we, pack. We were all out there doing this. And, and, and what was being done was. Uh, basically, in 2015, I, I think it was true that all these regular enterprises, and as always, I mean that in the best possible way, they were all freaking out that Google and Airbnb and Tesla and Uber were going to come disrupt their business and totally, totally steal it away. Now, there's a lot to be said about that. And I, you know, I'm right after I finish my, my son WTF book, then maybe I'll move on to this one. But I feel like it would be a great, almost like, a Michael Lewis type of like retrospective, the the five to 10 years since then, like, did this really happen? Was there really anything to worry about? And I think, I think there probably was a legitimate sort of, as they say, wake up call. But I think what happened, uh, and what this new book that I don't know the name of kind of proposes, I haven't read it. And, and what, I want to get to that momentarily. But what I, I read in the review that I only briefly reviewed, or read, uh, that the, this this book sort of proposes that the big companies uh, were fine, and uh, they actually have created this this moat of of right. software. And I think I have not read it, so I'm just going to talk about my interpretation of what it may be. I think the direction it seemed to be going. Um, this is a very classic software defined talk uh, commentary <laughs> about a book. We can't be bothered, but yeah, I, 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 we're I read, bothering. <laughs> I read I read a third of of an article about a book that I I'm, I haven't read, uh, which is. I, it sounded like, from what this person was saying, is one, there's specialization, there's regulations, all those great things that, that uh, us enterprise software vendors are always like double underline and doing the pow, pew, 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 you know, gun shoot thing <laughs> with, with our friends. And, uh, but also, I, I feel like, and if this is not written up in the book, I think it's something to consider that the sheer amount of, of knowledge, this, this gumbo of knowledge and tech debt that these companies have just makes it kind of impossible to, to replicate what they're doing and enter into that business. I, I don't think the tech debt is quite right, but there's something about just like, it's almost it's, like uh, yeah. the, the complex, it's, it's not so much a moat that has been dug as like a, um, like a yard that has been severely neglected and you just can't physically move through it. Right. It, and it's got like all the sort of like poisonous stuff in it and like big tall bushes and brushes and you're just like as as a disruptor you're like oh man i didn't bring the right p boots to deal with this right? <laughs> well and, and that's why startups don't look at like you know your 100 year old bank and they're like head to head you're going down you know they're like you know what i'm going to take pay, you know payments or i'm going to carve off you know yes, interest free checking or or you know little slices that they can wrap their heads around and you know the the big you know behemoth banks or whatever like you know that's fine we'll just you know we've got 100 vps to take you down so you know they'll, yeah. they'll keep moving and and you um, know i i think in addition to that like what i witnessed firsthand this is 2022 so that was seven years ago coming up on eight like is is that this this was a wake-up call for many companies but once the company woke up they were like oh pardon me and just like, like, <laughs> yeah, and and then we're yeah. extremely successful at just like doing what they needed to 
maybe not solve that extremely successful. Like, like for, for for example, to bring up, uh, I think maybe this topic has replaced can someone fix calendaring as the software defined talk topic, which is no one has yet solved transferring money in America. So that has not <laughs> that you know the disruption wasn't great enough to really like cause that to happen. However, I think in banking, for example, things are fine, right? Like there, I, I as far as I can tell. Like there's not really a bunch of like little little financial startup companies that have severely disrupted things, uh, or at the very least they were purchased uh, by other exactly. places. And so you know, I think I think the uh, people adapted to it, and and it was fine. Now, what I wanted to ask you you two, so this is the context for that, is like I actually came across the review of that book this morning, and and when we were talking about it earlier, I was thinking like I should probably go read that book. And then in my head, I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to go read that book." But I feel, I feel like, I feel like there was a time not so long ago in my life where I totally would have wanted to go read that book. Now I don't know if I would have read it or not. And and I, I I've been I've been trying to cope with this recently, right? Like I used to, I used to like read all the digital transformation stuff or whatever, like all the stuff in my field. And uh, now I think I'm at this phase that I think my dad was at. I, which and 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 then I want to get some input from y'all on what I should do. Should I should I work on building this habit back up? Is it fine? Is this you know how do I think about this? Like I remember one time I asked my dad. I I had. I mean, this is uh, representative of what I'm saying. Is I think I had actually read. I must have been in my early twenties. I read In Search of Excellence, uh, and I remember he had that book. And so I asked him, like, hey, you know, what do you do to, like, keep up with business developments and things that are going on? You know, I just read this book. And he was just like, he was like, Michael, I don't read any of those books. I, I don't I don't want to read those books. And it was just sort of like this. It was this thing that's always stuck in my head as like, oh, you don't actually have to read the literature about the field that you're in to participate and even be successful in the field. Like, all of that reading is like the optional homework uh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that you can do. And so I feel like, I don't know, should I be sliding? I mean, this is a question we all have to ask as we get older. Should I, should I start becoming more like my dad or do I need to like shore up and just start to go read these, uh, these digital transformation books and books about the I don't, But I think some of this, I mean, you're saying digital transformation books, but I kind of think you're referring broadly Enterprise to Enterprise IT. Let's, or well, I think you're, I'd go even further. I think you're, you're referring to like business books, right? Yes. Like I, I, yeah, just okay, in okay, general that's fair. That's as, fair. A, as a general category. And I, I mean, I think, I don't know, I think many people would, would sort of, I mean, there's, I don't know, there's like lots of different opinions, but I think a lot of people would say at some point, you know, like there's a lot of fads in business books. You know, the one I always reference is the halo, enough. right? The halo effect sort of just like, you know, distills that down and actually takes a bunch of popular books and just kind of distills it down and kind of says like, they're all fat. A lot of it's fads, a lot of it's, you know, kind of a retread and things like that. So, so to answer your question, so coming to the conclusion that I've sort of, you know, become familiar with the literature of business books, I've read, you know, a few, I get a sense of the style and I've de determined that, you know, I've kind of got what I can from that topic and kind of putting it on a shelf. I think that totally makes sense now. Yeah. You know, yeah. I hopefully like, you know, let's, let's like talk about doctors or something else. Like, you know, people like stuff where there's like actually new research or something is really, you know, hopefully <laughs> people, I hope, I hope somebody's reading that stuff. Um, and that's kind of what I think too. It's like, I mean, I will, if something jumps out as specifically kind of breaking that barrier between um, like maybe the Google SRE stuff kind of broke out a while, like something mm. that you feel like is legitimately 
different, bringing something new to the table. Like, I think I'll, yes. I'll definitely read that, but like, I don't know, you know, if, um, you know, the Seth Godin book, you know, he's up to like, you know, 15 or 20. It's like, I get it free for, like, I got it, you know, like, you know, yeah, delight I, your customers. I, like I, you know, <laughs> like I, I, I got I, a good enough Seth Godin sample size. Yeah. I mean, I, I get you the know, gist of it. Yeah. Yeah, same. There's just a lot of those, so it's like after you've read a few. So I, I would, I would not uh, be afraid to to put those on the shelves, and then maybe try to go read. If you're gonna read anything, just go read, just read other stuff, even if it's like literature or just like I don't know. It just seems like that's just more interesting. You actually end up learning more stuff from just random stuff that you pick up in other books. And there's there's probably going to be a few books. You know, you don't have to read the field. Um, you know, there's probably a few books that will pop out that you know maybe you don't read it within you know a month of it coming out but if uh if in a year you're still hearing you know good buzz about a book maybe that's when you you know oh, right maybe right. i will you know because a lot of these books you know they they hit that initial hype cycle and just completely you know drop off the radar but for some like the halo effect or you know the everything stores like you know we still talk about those because you know they were kind of seminal for for what they were um but yeah, I can't. It would drive me nuts to read all the business books. Yeah, what's so I, I think, I, I, Innovator's I think, Dilemma has sort of, you know, I think achieved that yeah. kind of like it's yeah. in uh, the canon. The, the right? Probably, yeah. probably everyone needs to read. It's kind of cliche now, but like you probably should read that one. There's like a few others, right? You're gonna be like, okay, I do Halo Effect, Innovator's Dilemma, maybe two or three others, and it's just like, yeah, I think you've, uh, I think you've hit it. So I probably, I probably need to read like that Team Topologies book finally. Everyone's always talking about that book. Which, so that seems like something I've read that one. So yeah, please read it. And tell me if I need to read it. Yeah, but you know, you know, and 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 as as a related thing, I've been refle- reflecting a lot recently that like, especially in the DevOps world, uh, there are a lot of sometimes they turn into books, but a lot of like concepts, like concept talks that really I think spend a lot of time on like how to remodel. Or, or how to make a new model and understanding of the system and reality. Like, you know, it started off with that crazy, yeah. like, like chaos uh, theory thing that that Welsh guy did. And like, you know, I feel like a lot of these kind of, and, and in, in general, this applies to kind of business books and I guess personal self-help books, but in a lot more, uh, you don't really see the model, so to speak. But like, there's a lot of these kind of books that seek to like build up, you know, you've been looking at reality wrong and here's like, a model like you you have to model out and define the situation that you're in and then depending on the situation you're in that kind of drives the way you make decisions about it and so you spend a lot of time thinking about like you know you've got you've got flows over here and you got uh you got like i don't know chaos over here all these things and like i was thinking the other day like i don't know i'm just done with all of that like i don't, <laughs> I don't really i'm not interested in another like remodeling of a system and like all this kind of theory of how you like chart out some some stuff it's just like tell me what keys to press like i i just we just need to like move on beyond like uh coming up with a way to uh model things out so maybe that's the kind of books that i need to avoid is books that seek to create a uh its own little w- would you call that a, a cosmology maybe of of business think like I just like well, anything what, that has a process in it. Anything that starts with like a bunch of stories at the beginning, right? Where it's like everything was bad, and then there are like you know a bunch of chapters that have stories about like it was bad, then this happened, and it was good, and then a couple more of those, followed by like section you know part two, which is like how to implement the thing, right? And it's like you know five chapters on that. That is like yeah, that I would I just immediately would not read, 
right? Unless unless you're like, unless someone, unless you're that's all of them though. If you're like, well, I'm just saying those I would like when I just flip through those, I'm just like, okay, I'm not reading those unless you are specifically going to go, you know, utilize that because it's almost like a homework for a class. It's like, okay, if your company is doing this like tomorrow or next week, I'm like, okay, go read it. But otherwise it's like, yeah, all of that is just, it's just too, um, like the process stuff is too specific to really, you know, be meaningful unless you're following it, you know, verbatim. And then the stories are like, sure, you can get the stories anywhere. Now I will flip that around. I'll say now the business books I like to read. I mean, I don't call them business books. I I'm always up for, as I've recommended on the show, millions of them. I'm sure like I'm always up for like a narrative nonfiction around business where like mm. a New York times or Washington post writer, or usually some reporter has uh, taken the time to go research and do some investigative reporting about a company how they were started and you know, kind of the history of it. And then they go through and tell all the, like the details, like some of it's sort of gossipy, but some of it's just sort of like, I like it because it's, it's sort of like, Oh, it's just a reminder to me. It's like, Oh, nobody knows anything. Like when you read those books, it's just like, <laughs> Oh, there was all this infighting and so-and-so did this and so-and-so quit. And then, well, and then they backed into this uh, great idea and it worked out. And it's like, because that's what, I, when I read those books, I'm like, oh, this resonates the world I work in. This is like, this is the world I see every day. So I like to right, read right, those. Right. It makes me feel like, oh yeah, it's good. Like, I don't want to read the book from the CEO about like how they did it right. I want to read the book that the reporter did a bunch of research on that talked about the real thing. And it's like, yeah, that's a lot more yeah. interesting well, the, than you read. The, those aren't usually business books as much as like, you know, near historical Fiction. Yeah, narrative nonfiction is what they call it. I like it. Uh, I'm yeah, always yeah. into, sure, I'm into sure. narrative nonfiction, nonfiction about but, businesses. Uh, like, love it. Yeah, Bring so, it on. So, yeah. so, so Cote will write the Sun book, and then we'll have another example. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think these books are useful because basically you use them to be like, oh, I am not fucking up. I'm just trying the best that I can. <laughs> well, because, yeah, they're, they're they're entertaining, and they might not even have that much of a lesson. It's mm. more of just a like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Or, you know, I was there and that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like but, each one of those books is like its own little personal case study because they're kind of describing the problems, the total chaos that's going on. And as you're kind of reading it, you can think to yourself like, hmm, what would I have done? Like, I think I would have done this. or I think I would have done that. So and then you can then you kind of hear how they do it. And maybe they do it right. Maybe they do it wrong. But it's like those I just like my mind is always very much like engaged in that. Right. Whereas well, like. I, I, Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And that's why I only want to read the first half of those business books that you were, you know, that you were putting down the stories. I want to hear the stories and then get to the thesis and like, yeah, I don't need to hear the rest. Right. You know, because like you gave me some anecdotes, then you posited a thesis of why these things, you know, are bound together by your thesis. And uh, I don't really need any more supporting. Material. No, I totally agree. But like, that's why I've just found that investigative reporters are so much better at the stories than the business books, writers writing the stories. Their stories are boring and they're just not as exciting. as like, oh, the investigative reporters, like they have all the details. You're like, oh, didn't know that it went down. Right. You know, it's like so it's, you know, like we won't go into it like maybe too much because it's sort of probably like in the gossip world. But like, you know, the I think the Wall Street Journal published some news on Elon Musk and it was like, hmm. Kind of interesting. This seems like these these <laughs> this world of like high tech executives seems like they're kind of like every other group of people. A lot of like weird problems going on, and it was like, and then you know you're like, so so that was just another acknowledgement of like, well, these people have lots of money, but they seem to kind of have a lot of the same problems. So it's like, yeah, that's yeah, another I, kind I, of interesting I, thing. I don't have those problems. I, I think, well, I think- <laughs> just I would say broadly speaking, they have lots of similar social problems that are they're not immune to like common social problems. Let's say. Yes, I, I think, no I think you're, 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 you're hitting on something that you were making me think earlier, Brandon, which is one of, one of the, the benefits 
I don't know. Benefit is the wrong word, but one one of the interesting, the helpful things that your your business narrative nonfiction brings is is that it it sort of like helps you calibrate your intuition that like things are a lot more simple and less magical than you would think they would be. Right? And and so yes. so which which is comforting because then you don't have to be a magician or a wizard, right? And then and then you also like you feel a little more empowered and in control of things. So for example, um, you know, uh, I, I think the thing with reading about like kooky, rich uh, tech executives is like they have so much uh, like money and power and weird situations that the normalness uh, that like is kind of like not that we have weird things, but like just like that amplifies any any edge case or weirdness that occurs. Right. So it's just it's just possible for them to get in more involved in more hijinks. Right. And not that it always happens, but it's definitely uh, you've got an accelerator there uh, to, to, to help with that. <laughs> so, now, so if we were all rich, we'd have more hijinks. I mean, I mean, you know, more, more, more money, more weirdness, I think. Yes. Is, is uh, more, more. And, and, you know, also Again, uh, more money, more problems. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, yeah. What did we say? <laughs> exactly. Just any money, <laughs> more problems, I think was the what we decided on last week. But I, I think just to, uh, you know, there was also there's the ongoing coverage of the decline of Facebook and, and what goes on in there. Right. And I think I think I think what you see there is like the reporting on that. I think uh, it brings up this like, oh, it's actually pretty simple. Right. That what's going on here. And it's just sort of like, yeah, for like all the like hoopla about like changing the world and doing this and being big, like they're actually just like a gigantic advertising company that uh, took it took advantage of a system that allowed for in a good way that allowed for doing more high quality ads and now that parts of that system don't exist anymore they're losing billions of dollars of valuation and their business doesn't work right it's kind of it's similar to like brick and mortar retail where it's where it's like oh yeah when you can get more variety and things delivered to you in one to two days why the fuck would i go to a mall like there's actually nothing special about it it's just simple uh, and then and then you see this thing where like, you know, as as the big tech companies and, you know, the coverage in Facebook in particular from the news, because to your point, Brandon, they have a lot of uh, access, I guess. It's just like all the executives are like, whoa, we actually need to like spend money responsibly now. Crazy. <laughs> right. And and so like what you see is that like, well, sure. I mean, and this is what people going back to the uh, the 2015, like, you know, uh, Facebook is going to take over your business is like the the reply everyone would give is like, yeah, sure. If I had infinite money and I didn't have to be profitable, I could do that too. <laughs> right. And then it turns out that was a very true statement. And, and it's yep. just sort of like, yeah, well, if you, if you don't have that, then you have to be, uh, as, as I think that book likes to say a wartime CEO, but as I more think of it, you have to just be a CEO. <laughs> And and just just like you do, just a normal CEO like running a business, like focusing on like profit and uh, and growth, not on like just like nuttiness. So uh, to that end, on uh, the CEO, I don't know if you saw, um, kind of related to Facebook, really Instagram. I guess it's Adam Masseri, and uh, he's the CEO of Face of Instagram. And so Instagram is going through um, what they. I mean, they have lots of words for it, but they're just making TikTok. They're just converting uh, it over to TikTok, <laughs> which is like education. Yeah, no, so it's just like that's what they're the doing. And yeah, like like whether like it's very simple to be what's happening. Like he said in a lot of words, but it's like we're building TikTok because that is um, getting more interest than uh, Instagram. 
Like that's just what's going on. And like, we have to make more money. Right. So that's it. Right. You know, he had his uh, QBR and he had his uh, review and they were like, you need to make more money. He's like, I'm going to clone TikTok. I totally get it. Right. So, um, so it was interesting. Like, so then he made a uh, video, a TikTok like video, <laughs> right. Explaining that, but in, in like tons of like, you know, tons of like uh, narrative around, like we care about the creators and we hear your feedback and all this stuff. And I was, I was thinking to myself, like, really, I think this is a place for like, just say less, like, you don't like, I mean, him explaining it and then it kind of became a parody a little bit. Right. And the other people have like, and it was like, just do what you're going to do. Like we get it. And I also think like, it will probably work. Like it will probably make Facebook more money in the long run to kind of switch over to this. Like, even though many people that like the pictures will complain about it in the end, it'll just make more money. So I just thought to myself, it's kind of back to your wartime CEO is like, just, you know, just shut the door. Like you've already made up your mind. You're going to do it. You're going to test it out. You're going to make more money. And if you don't make more money, you roll it back. But like, you just, you don't need to say anything. You're just making it worse. Yeah. Is my whole take on that. So just do what you're wanting to do. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a wartime CEO or a peacetime CEO that would do that, but maybe that'd just be like a normal CEO. That's yeah. And I, I think, I think, I think you bring up another example and, and you, you, you went over right there is like, I, there's a bunch of talk here, but like, really you just like, you, you want to like do what TikTok does. Right. And I think the answer is the answer that the, 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 uh, the, the narrative nonfiction book would have is like, yes, that's what they wanted to do. <laughs> like yeah. and it's just like yeah a, a well, new, but, but a, then they, they they pull out you know and you know here's five memos that i got from back channel to support totally, you know, that, totally. and yeah. and i think th- i think i think the instagram thing just to like kind of uh uh whatever make up some some version of this the instagram thing and it, w- it would see the, it, it, my whole point is that like you can calibrate yourself on like not thinking too hard about things by by what people are saying with instagram it would be like Oh yeah, they they wanted to make more money, and so they just started putting all these ads in there, uh, and doing all these things, and it just became this confusing bundle of stuff with a whole bunch of ads, and everyone talked about it being a whole bunch of ads, and and the conclusion was they just kind of like ruined it and made it too commercial, and then this other thing came along, and people like that more, and uh, if if they win, in the book it will say, uh, yeah, so they just replicated that. Yeah, and everyone stuck with them, and and then they also like figured out a way to like make it better, and maybe they they signed like an exclusive contract with like whoever's licensing all that music, and then there you go, and then they lobbied some uh, some U.S. like senators to be like China owns all our data, and they just totally shut that <laughs> shit down, and and it's well, just like uh, yeah, and and, and the early no... chapters still got to talk about like. And they already had a history of ripping off Snapchat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. And and that that would be the thing is like they have done this before. And a fast and then, follower, yeah, yeah. And it, and it would be like I don't know. There's no fucking synergies or magic. They just like <laughs> they just did shit, and and like uh, it it panned out. And uh, I don't know. But the, I think I think that's why these stories I think uh, start to be useful. Is I guess basically what I'm saying is Occam's razor always handy. Anyhow, well, speaking of things that are handy, totally unrelated. Uh, after after uh, a long time, uh, just just in the hopper, there's a, there's a paper that I was I worked on with a couple of my uh, my coworkers about. Uh, uh, it started off as being about technical debt. Uh, like I'll, I'll, this is this is fun. I think I think the audience here enjoys a little little look behind the curtains, as it were. And uh, there's a webinar that the uh, the two people gave. Um, uh, I don't remember both of their names, so I'm not going to say one and say I don't know the other, so they can guess who who it is. I'm terrible at this stuff. Um, anyways, they gave a webinar in May of 2021, and uh, this webinar was great. 
and and you could tell and i mean this in a very helpful good way you could tell that they were kind of like reading from extensive notes when they were giving it so i like the webinar and what they're going over basically is this concept they called it tech debt uh but i i since like when i was writing this up i changed it to developer toil because what they're going over is that when you when you're trying to improve the productivity of developers you should uh, ask them what they spend a lot of time on and you can't just you know you have to come up with a method of asking them that's useful and so there's like 30 or 40 questions they kind of use uh, in a standard way. And you just send out a survey and you have people rate it. And, you know, you use like the old, I'm not a, a statistician or whatever, but you use the old Likert scale, you know, one to five. And then through whatever the magic is, you can basically, if you ask like, you know, 100 to 300 developers, you can kind of force rank stuff. Not even force rank. You can just rank uh, things and basically and, and, say and like cluster and yeah 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 and you can be like oh look whenever they need to like uh actually get a cluster that's a problem so right. we should and, do and that that's not that's not tech debt as much as just like friction right and so you that's know? why that's why yeah. i when i when i was toil. that's why we've changed it to developer toil right is it's more it's not really you know you can have developer toil created by tech debt but it's Absolutely. not it's not a uh, whatever an overlapping thing. So anyways, so sure enough, when I when I asked them about this and I got their slides, if you looked in the slide notes, they just had written this whole thing out, which was amazing. Right. And so what I did <laughs> is, is I was like, I'm going to take this and like polish it off and make a paper. And they were just like, cool. And so like I just started off by like cutting and pasting their notes and then just went through and like munged it you know, yeah. uh, in, in, into my stuff. So it was, it was a fun way of like writing something, uh, about cause, cause I don't have to know about it and I can just kind of go in and, uh, and mess around with it. But, uh, I, I, th I think it's nice cause it does, again, I think it highlights like this thing I hadn't really thought so much about, which is exactly as you said, Matt, Ray. It's not tech debt, but that would be what you would want to call it. And it kind of, uh, you know, obviously it, uh, uh, is influenced by the concept of SRE toil or whatever, right. Things that should be fixed, but, uh, applied to developers. I don't know. You have a nice definition. I don't know, Kote. You want to like? I'll just read it for you here. It's that developer toil is the repetitive, predictable, constant stream of tasks that support adding features to software, but don't actually directly decide what those features are uh, or write code to create them. So I think it's just like I don't know. It's just a nice, uh, you know, kind of in your um, little summary there because you talk about like more traditional types of tech debt, and it's like I, I don't know. To me, I kind of I feel like it's it's sort of like if you will something that applies well beyond development, right? It's just sort of like, I, I, when I was reading that, I thought to myself, man, wow, I, I, I really wish, and there are like CIOs that do this. It's not like it's unprecedented, but it's just like, I think about just my own job and all the things that we have to do to just like, you know, get something created or do something for a customer or sell something. Um, and just sort of like a focus on this idea. And I think toil to me, spoke to me, right? Cause it's sort of like, it has that metaphor of just like, kind of like weighing you down, right? Around mm -hmm. like, uh, and I think you tell a good story, maybe you can hit on it about how like, you know, uh, the 15 minute feature, like this is a 15 minute code change, but then, you know, to actually do it, it takes a lot longer and yeah. because of all these things. And I think, um, I think everyone can kind of relate to that. There's probably something that you do at your work that you're like the actual intellectual work of doing it will take a very short amount of time, but then the process to get that, that thing like pu pushed out or changed or like communicated, um, will be a will be really long such almost to the point that at times you don't even want to do it you know what i mean like sending <laughs> out like a, a communication to the sales team you're like i'm gonna write this up it's a paragraph everyone needs to know about it but then it's like 
now I got to record, I got to get, you know, work with the communications team. I got to get it uh, formatted and I got to go through this process. And you're almost to the point of like, hmm, like, do I need to send this out? You know what I mean? You know, it's sort of like, it, it's sort of like, if you will, seeps away at like actually doing the work. So I, I, don't right, know, I think right, that's right. part of like, it's really important to like, yeah, you really hit on that. And yeah, no, the definition is good, right? And that's that's like like if, when you read things like that in the paper, that's what uh, what Susie and Tyson came up with, like the the uh, the, the more uh, in a good way academic, actually, uh, I don't know, not factual, but like you know stuff like that. Whereas like I came up with a delightful fifteen minute story with, with all, <laughs> all the little jokes and uh, and, 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 and na- narrative in there. And, and and you know we were speaking about you know business books that <clears throat> could use some. Uh, condensing the that Malcolm Gladwell book a while back about like 10,000 hours, right? It's like, was it really like half an hour and, you know, 10,000 hours of, of getting it into production that made you such a great mm. you know, enterprise developer? Um, that's what I, you know, that was really my big issue with that, with that book. <laughs> and, 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 and just the thought of like, oh my God, there are so many small fixes that, you know, like, as a, as a, as a former developer, you know, you'd be like, oh yeah, I can fix that. And then there was always, you know, the, the, you know, oh, it has to go through QA. Oh, it has to, you know, get, you know, committed and, you know, reviewed. And, and there was always all that extra overhead, which in all fairness was very important. And, and to, to Malcolm Gladwell's point that those, those hours count too, you know, because that is, is part of mm. friction. You you can't just because I, I I've definitely worked with folks who can just whip a bunch of stuff out and then you know ghostwrite it into production and, and you know leave it for someone else to care for. So is that is that what the kids say now? Ghostwrite it into production. <laughs> you, you know, ghostwriter when you were a kid, you'd run on, you'd be riding your bike and then you'd jump off and the bike would keep going. Oh, I thought you meant like the Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, it's the same thing, right? Okay. He's got his you know flaming motorcycle and it goes into a crowd. Um, yeah. yeah, we. But anyway, that's that's the, the the metaphor for you know the developers who don't care about all that over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I think I think I think this topic and also the 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 topic of of, of tech debt and other things like I, I've been I've been uh, I don't know talking with and writing on those these two topics a lot in the past year. And I think like I think I don't know how you categorize this kind of thing, but I think it in software and and also IT in general, it's a problem that arises from upper management not understanding that it exists <laughs> yeah as as, as it, and and then, and then what that results in is that it, uh maintenance or, or addressing these things is not prioritized right well and, and they're, they're the same people who are like i don't understand what developers do all day right right and and then, <laughs> and then so so that that means that the uh the epiphanatic like thing that you want to reveal is to somehow explain to and understand to the the kind of like upper the executive class that like you know uh it's important that you address this as part of what you're doing and i think i think you know uh whatever an analogy is sort of like even if you don't understand as i don't like what you know injection molding is or like you know how to manufacture toys if I yeah. told you that your factory was flooded, you would know that would need to be addressed, <laughs> right? Like, like you would under like if if I told you that your machines were like rusting and like you know we hadn't actually put oil on them in like six months, y- you would know that something would need to get done, even if you had no idea how the machines worked. Whereas in like 
software and infrastructure stuff, like I don't feel like that level of understanding is as universal as it needs to be uh, with with uh, with executive people. So you just like ignore it, and uh, well, you don't need, you can't really ignore a thing you don't know exists, right? But you just yeah. you, you you prioritize in a different way, and then. Of course, when you when you're at the bottom, the people who are close to knowing that these things exist, you're just sort of like, okay, well, you know, I got to go to lunch, like, <laughs> like. <laughs> but I, you know, in the paper, you you know, you do a good job of kind of saying like, hey, this is how you could potentially explain it to you know executives, right? And so I just wanted to try this this uh, tact on you, though. It's like as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, I've been thinking a lot about culture. And, you know, you think about all like kind of the office space, all the things that like companies try to do to instill culture that are become like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, kind of funny things we make fun of a lot of times. But one of the things I thought about with this one was one way to like, you know, a culture may be one um, value a company may have is like, hey, we want to treat employees really well. And, you know, your time is extremely valuable. We want you to spend your time creating value to the company. Right. So yeah. that's something that like could easily be written on a poster and just sort of like glossed over. But, you know, kind of like we talked about like values versus virtue, but then what would you do to actually like instill that culture? And so instead of like mm. making the have a presentation or bringing somebody in to say like, you know, this is really important or something along those lines, like I think something like dedicated to this is like, well, the re the way that we're going to actually show that to you is like we are going to spend time, you know, making sure that all these manual processes and these things that are tedious, like first we're going to acknowledge that they exist. Right. I mean, even that itself is great. And then two, we're going to at least try to take on two or three of them, maybe the top ones and get them out of the way. And at the end, we're going to look at that as a group and say, OK, well, we've, we now it's a lot easier to, um, if you will, get the configuration set up uh, for the developer laptop. Right. Maybe that takes instead of taking, you know, three days, it takes an hour something along those lines. And I think tying that back to like the culture, because that's what I'm always interested in is like, there's just so many, like, like tie these things back to very tangible things. And I don't, they don't need to be slides and motivation posters, but it's sort of like, you're really demonstrating to like, say in this case, developers, right. That like this, you are an important group. Your time is really valuable. We're going to spend time so that most of your time, you really are working on challenging, intellectually challenging coding issues, mm. you know, you know, around our business logic and not spending a lot of time in configuration. And while they will always exist, while some of this like is just goes along with the territory, you can't fix all the problems, you know, every quarter or so um, we're going to at least fix one or two of them. And I think that's kind of like, you know, I, I think when you start to tie that to like the culture, like maybe that's back to an executive communication, like, like to me, that's much more meaningful than, you know, a webinar about the company culture, right? You know, it's like, this <laughs> yeah. is like much more interesting than like someone talking about the culture is like, here's what we did. So I, I like that idea. And I don't know, it'd be interesting to try that out with some executives to see if they um, buy into it or if they kind of just, like you said, it's like, ah, it's, it's fine. You know, just let the developers do what they have to do. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, and, I mean, I mean it's, it's like, it's like related to the idea, you know, of, of like a learning culture or continuous improvement or things like that. And I think, I think maybe what that, what what a thing to 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 spend more time on and that speaking of business book think and that that philosophy of business is like maybe maybe we should enter an era where where like business strategy focuses on a lot more on how than like the why and like the broad thing right like i i feel like one of the more major disservices back in our generation the the 90s and early 2000s of programming was this uh, I think it was the pragmat. It was all all the people giving advice. Is that is that uh, <laughs> all the advice was bad? <laughs> yeah, is that whoever was giving requirements to developers are forbidden from specifying how those requirements are satisfied? Right, like you 
you can't really like talk about that. And like, like I think, I think maybe like that type of thinking totally doesn't work when you're sort of like setting company strategy. And it's almost like there should be some gating that if you can't explain two to three ways that you would actually implement this, this vision and this strategy, this how, then you can't do it. Right. Like you have to like kind of figure out like what it is you'll be doing. And, and even if you don't know exactly what it is, you have to kind of explain the system that you're putting in place for it. Even beyond like, oh, we're just going to have a, uh, a system of continuous improvement and, uh, and learning. Like you need, you need some, uh, some direction. Uh, what I do think that like for the leaders that are like thinking about culture that want to instill it, I think there's always this trap of like hypocrisy. Like if someone gets on, uh, I think any, anyone that's trying to lead a culture discussion and you're trying to lead it through a webinar and you're trying to say like, you know, we're a company that's going to do X, right? Like almost immediately or values X almost immediately. Everyone watching the webinar is going to instantly think of examples of where the company did not do X. Like it's almost impossible not yeah. to like, to be like, Oh, I re like to remember the time where the company totally did not do that. Right? right. And so I think, and it's like, there's, it's impossible. I don't know why anyone like, you know, there's no way you could present that way and not have someone think about that. But I think if you just said, I, I think you always lead from like, Hey, we know we have to get better here we value this and we're going to, and here's, an, here's what we're going to do to try to make it better. Right. So this idea like about automation or something and, and this always acknowledge at the end is like, I know we don't have everything right. Like I know we don't get it right, but like, we're going to do this one better and we're going to make the next thing better because otherwise you're just kind of like, you know, cause you see it too. Like sometimes you see in all hands when people kind of get like people real frustrated, somebody get up and like really start to challenge. They'll start to get like, go down a rabbit hole and be like, Oh, well, you said this, but then, you know, this, then they'll have a really specific example of where it didn't happen. And the whole room is just sort of like goes quiet and it's a little awkward. Right. And it's like, <laughs> and like nobody's like, like nothing good is happening at that moment. Whereas if you just stay to specifics, right. I think that kind of keeps you out of that trap. And then also, I think, you know, like well, all cultures and, and, are hypocritical to some extent. Right. So I think don't, don't fall into that trap, I guess. is my point. But, but then that, that's also why people complain about executives always having mealy mouth, wishy-washy stuff because they don't want to get pinned down. Because they're like, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, we've got a culture of improvement and, you know, don't challenge us on it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I if, you came, if you came to it and just said, listen, I know like I would I, if I was leading a group like, hey, listen, I know there are things that take too long that are frustrating for all us to do it. Like we are trying to become a culture that doesn't have that, that as much. So here's for the developer tool, well, like go through that and be like, here's something we're going to all work on together. And we get this done, we'll work on and, the next and, thing. And, yeah. we, and, and totally acknowledge that. Be like, I realize that I would even say like, I bet you every one of you could come to me with an example of uh, yeah. things that frustrate yeah, that, you and not pretend, right? Don't pretend that like, you've got to figure it out. Be like, we're just trying to get slightly better. Here's an and, tangible and, example. And people definitely, people should appreciate, you know, candor, I, I, over over mealy mouth <laughs> every time because it's like you know this these are the facts on the ground you know i'm not you know if, if i candy coat it you're going to be mad at me later on when i'm like oh you remember when i you know i said we needed to work harder well now i gotta lay you all off <laughs> yeah well yeah. You, you know this this does bring up like on the on uh, and, and on the other hand of like all the the internal facebook stuff i mean at least there's not that mealy mouthness and it's, it's like you, <laughs> well, you kind of like it's, you it's kind so of directly that it's like public yeah 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 and 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 then also like uh like man i would love to be in some all hands meeting at some point in my career where like the, the person you're mentioning brandon stands up and the executives just take a pause and they're like let's go long 
Like, let's really get into this. Like, we're just gonna <laughs> let's like, dive. Let's dive like, into it. Yeah. I, what it'll, what it'll do be, you mean a culture of layoffs? He'll you know. just, he'll just, you know, not, I shouldn't say he. The the, the executive uh, team will just say like, well, uh, can we go over? Like, let's let's how 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 longer do you have? Do you have a hard stop? Just to say that to the thousands of employees, <laughs> and let's and, just and let's get into it. Let's go just, and, like, and then HR's yeah. like tugging at their sleeve. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you have to give the moderator control, and then they'll be like, "All right, I uh, I, I force muted the uh, the HR and the uh, internal comms people, and now we're we're yeah. gonna have this meeting." So, but or let's... or can we take this offline? Yeah. <laughs> well, I or, or, or no, like, like 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 what they would say is like, "Well, let's take the offline online," or like we are we're, we're Ooh, this is it right let's here. Take the offline online. <laughs> You bring up the Facebook one, and I think it's a good little case study because so obviously I think a few weeks ago we talked about Zuckerberg out on all hands was just like, hey, thinks a lot of people don't want to be at Facebook anymore. So we kind of talked about that, right? And then now I already talked about Adam Masseri, this, you know, works for Zuckerberg, right? And but the CEO of Instagram. It seems like he has a lot of autonomy. You know, he's out there like I think in a very, you know, public facing way, trying to explain, trying to like make it sound good about why they're doing the Instagram stuff, even though he's not really directly saying what we kind of all know, which we already covered. So it's like well, which do you prefer? Like, I guess it's kind of an interesting question. Like, it's like, well, you know, because it's like the Zuckerberg thing kind of seems wrong, but I kind of prefer it to the, you know what I mean? It's like he kind of said what was on his mind and like probably a not such a great appropriate way, but like it's pretty true. Whereas I think the Adam one is like, it doesn't feel sincere. It's just like, you're kind of saying yeah. this, but you're not, re- you know, even you know, as you're saying it, this is kind of a lot of double speak. So why say it? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just, I mean, I guess you can go back to like, well, maybe there's a third option, but this is back to like, no, no, the reality is like these are the senior leaders of Facebook. Right. So it's like, it's one or the other. There's no other, uh, Cheryl Strandberg's retired. So the, there's nobody else coming through that door. So it's like, well, which do you want? Right. And I was like, yeah, I kind of felt myself being like, well, at least with Zuckerberg, like, you know, where you stand, right? Like yeah, it seems yeah, pretty upfront. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I think the, uh, you know, let's go long version of, of, of that kind of thing. I don't know what's up with, Facebook or Meta, whatever, but that like over the years, I've always, I've, I've always thought of is like, you know, you just, you just want someone to explain like the depressing situation. So they'll, they'll make up a story about the, uh, the Facebook thing, right? Like you, like w- what I always want to hear in basically in, in the, we're going to lay people off meeting is you want to be like, yeah, we're just not like making as much money as easily as we used to. And uh, people aren't buying things for the following two or three legit reasons that make sense. And so uh, basically, like, people are, like, getting rid of our shares, and they don't want to hold them, so our company valuation is going down. And so what they want to do now is, like, see our numbers look like this, and the only way we can achieve that is to uh, get rid of people because they're expensive. And so that's what we're going to do. And, <laughs> and it's just like and, – and then, and then, you know, in the case uh, – I mean, I have to imagine – I don't know. This would be what I would be thinking in the case of, of Facebook stuff. I, I would want them to say, like – and we're not going to do all that like virtual reality stuff because we don't have time for that shit right now. <laughs> it's like, not so, working, right? And, and, and then just to be like, yeah, sorry about that. Like it seemed like a good idea at the time. But now we kind of realize that like we should just get really good at advertising and <laughs> like try to like totally like combat TikTok and, and, and whatever it is Apple's doing over here. So let's work on that. And, and in that way, you at least have like, you know, some of your friends are going to be gone or maybe you will. But now we know what we need to do, which is do better at advertising and then like replicate what these other people are doing and shut them down. So that's our new mission. <laughs> well, none, and, and, none and of that's, this that, weird VR bullshit. Like, yeah, and, and that, that that's when like if they were smaller, you know, private equity would be like, look, guys, it's really simple. We come in, 
you do this, you do the social network, we have nice margins, you quit messing around, you don't you don't need R and D and and you know virtual reality. You know, nobody's buying that stuff. Like you just do what you're good at and I get my twenty percent return. Done. <laughs> now, and, I, and, and and there's there's plenty of employees who would be like it's a paycheck and you know and it, it relieves that stress of like oh we didn't miss our number now they got to lay off 10 percent of the people you know at random it's like you know the strategy burden uh, strategy burden is a real thing yeah and now i don't think to be fair to our listeners we've talked about anything remotely related to the uh, the projects on the cncf landscape uh, picture <laughs> So maybe we should reel it back a little bit. Yes, uh, to, to fit that's what they're the, here for. To fit into the category that that we we try to uh, service here, and I, and I think well, first of all, like just to emphasize, like you know, uh, it's it's really my coworker Susie and Tyson who came up with all the stuff in this paper, and I just like wrote it up. And uh, I, I, it's it's funny. I guess you could say that I went through the publishing toil, the writer's toil of actually getting it out. Uh, in in a format like that, but uh, I, you know, it's a fine paper, and uh, we don't have it published yet. But we're also putting together like a uh, come copy the survey if you want to just start doing it on your own. Because the way you find the toil is you send out a survey, like I was saying. So we might as well create for the likes of Brandon a spreadsheet uh, that has the <laughs> the survey questions that you can just upload that you can upload to Google Forms or Microsoft Suite Forms or whatever. I mean, you know, I, I keep meaning to bring this up, but like an example of a lot of what we talk about is just like the top three public clouds. I mean, I think they're basically just like, oh, good idea. We replicated it. Right? <laughs> and, and they're just like, yeah, we're not really like doing anything the sci-fi. The too big. You can't, you can't knock it over. Right? Yeah, we're, we're just doing a lot with computers here and doing it really well. <laughs> and uh, that's, we, we, we don't have any sort of philosophy or, or anything. Anyways... Uh, but there, there is one notion that, that came up, I think, I think in our, 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 uh, our Slack land or somewhere, uh, that I think is interesting that I've encountered before. And that is the idea. I think Google does this where like you basically, you don't do a tremendous amount of development on your local desktop. And instead you kind of use like a virtual setup somewhere or some mixture of it. Sure. And you have a lot of, a lot of stuff out there in the cloud. And, um, this is, this is, uh, this used to seem like, you know, like, well, I mean, I guess that's some funky thing Google does. But then I was talking with uh, like an enterprise architect at a, at a big bank recently, and this person went on and on and, and they made a good case of just like, I don't understand why we don't do that. Because, like, I mean, speaking of developer toil, it's just like anytime we get a new developer, it takes like six weeks for them to get started just because they have to do this onboarding. Whereas like if you're at Google, you just like, you know, I don't know, it takes an hour and then you have like a full environment and everything's ready to go. I mean, I guess that's, that is a type of developer toil, but it does sort of like, I guess there's some technical limitations, maybe. I mean, obviously you need to be on the internet, but it does seem like... <laughs> Google always forgets that, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, it does seem like, uh, I don't know, a, a good idea? Like what, yeah. uh, what, what, I mean, what do I you mean, think, Matt? This, this isn't a new idea. It's like... Hey, somebody just discovered VDI. <laughs> yes, yes. But but I mean, yes, yes. The the whole point is if if developers spend less time toiling uh, with their their uh, desktops and configurations and setups, they can spend more time being productive. And there's 
never been a better time for it than now. I mean, there's tools like GitPod and and you know all sorts of uh, semi VDI solutions where you know developers can have virtual development environments where you know their tools are already configured with the latest releases and you know whatever setup the way they like. And when they screw it up, they can you know throw it out and, and start over again. Um, that's great, and I, I think uh, that is the future for a lot of people, um, especially in large organizations, uh, you know, the sorts of people who, who were buying VDI back in the day. And, you know, now they're like, oh yeah, we have, you know, a thousand uh, Java developers and we need to make sure that they all use the same versions of tools. And so there's actually a team who makes sure that that image that they use is configured the same way. And, you know, they have the right credentials with single sign-on and, you know, it's that sun dream made real. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree, but there's always the edge cases and, you know, you have to make sure that it works in offline, right. uh, which is something well, Google forgets. <laughs> I was going to say, though, but like, the thing that caught my eye, I guess this all started with a tweet that sort of got some traction, at least in my timeline. So, you know, who knows everywhere else. But uh, I don't, and the link is there. But so it's Eric. I don't know how to say his last name, but so you can read it. But I'll just quote it real quick. He says, uh, quote, in the long run. Okay, that's always that is to me is always the red flag. Quote in, in the, the long run, I expect most all of developers doing things locally will go away. Developing, testing, building, running, deploying, etc. When developers need to run things locally today, it's a sign that cloud tools aren't there yet, in my opinion. And it's like like the whole conversation is just stupid when you start this way. Like, you know, in the fullness of time, in the long run, anytime you say this stuff, it's just stupid. Like it's like great. That's great. Can we talk about my lifetime in the short term? Okay. And so I think what is a good conversation we're having is to say like, there are definitely times and use cases, certainly for server-side development, um, where doing it uh, remotely and doing it in the cloud probably is not only easier, it's better in almost every single way. And to, um, I think your point, Matt, it's like, I mean, not only has this been around uh, forever, it's like literally it's been around forever. Like on the mainframe, there was a time you would only basically, you know, if you will, that was That's the all it was. That's all it was. It was the only timeshare, um, yeah. And it's not so long that, you know, at least for, for this group of people, all of uh, three here, it's like, you know, in college, it was like, yeah, that's, you always went to like, use some dumb terminal to log into the, uh, to run the, uh, the compiler on whatever the SunSpark server or whatever, right? That's all we ever did. Like you just kind of X termed into your uh, thing to do your homework. And that's, that's how it works. So it's like, so I always think like these conversations, like when I see this kind of stuff, it's like, this isn't really helping the situation. So I think what is helpful though, is to say, Hey, you know, remote development, is now getting good for these areas, X, Y, Z. It's probably not going to be very good anytime soon for like, if you're building a Apple a mobile app, uh, I don't think that's going to be very easy in the cloud. It's going to be much harder, would be my guess. I think there's probably a bunch but of other they, they have all those hosted, times. They have all those like hosted phone development. Sites. Right, but having actually built one app that kind of sucked was yeah, okay, like yeah. nobody actually, was, you know, they have the quote, uh, what they call it, like the the labs, right? You can do and just harnesses. like test yeah. harnesses and, uh, and um playgrounds which like again exists but like as you know like to do anything quote unquote real like you're going to want to run it locally you're going to want to then run it actually on your ipad or your oh, yeah. iphone so right many, and then you know just so to do it like scenarios. i don't think yeah. any professional apple developers like yeah let me do everything remotely that's going to be a lot easier maybe it could be done only it would cry uh have a lot of toil right if you will to your thing <laughs> right and then of course you know 
the other thing that you already hit on was just like, well, there's just lots of times where like you don't have uh, internet access that you still need to work. Like you go on vacation or you're you know, doing something. It's just like, there's just plenty of times where it's like, hey, I need to take the network out of the uh, equation so I can get some work done. And it's like, I always come back to it. It's just, I just feel like in the industry, like we just kind of always, it's like, it's like the Linux desktop, right? It's like, it's always the year of the Linux desktop. It's like at some point, like we can stop talking about these. Like let's talk about them in a new way, right? Like well, where yeah. does the Linux desktop going to work? Where is it a useful thing? Versus like, oh, it's definitely happening because most of the time it isn't going to happen. Like there, like in ten years, I, development will still be done on local machines. I will guarantee it. I will bet anyone who wants to bet anything against that. So let's have a conversation around something different than just like in the long run. Yeah, I, and, I, and, I, and it's 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 going to be a Linux desktop. It's just not going to be on your desktop. <laughs> I, I think I think I think. Well, I have a few things to say, and then maybe we can get to uh, bureaucracy. But like one. I feel like I feel like Brandon has replicated what it probably feels like to work with a copy editor and an editor in Bridgewater and Associates. <laughs> just like just like some honest straight talk that is clarifying uh what what needs to happen. So that's good. So now we can we kind of can we know what's going on there. And two, like I think I think what I mean, and I don't do this, so you know whatever, but like I always like this idea of like when you have uh not even a prediction uh, but like a a uh, uh, kind of like a futurology thing, it's good to include in that some verification tests that would allow you to determine if this would happen. And so, in the case of like, I mean, I don't even know with Linux desktops, but in the case of like uh, doing development remotely, I think probably like the number one and the only thing that really matters is like the ubiquity of like low latency networks that people have to their home and to, to offices. Right. And so like, you could be like, at some point, if, if the, if the, the average, if the network speed that most programmers have available to them is whatever, then technically there's no reason, like it solves all the problems of doing things remotely. And so that's what, that's what the fullness of time is, is we're waiting for that to happen at this moment. So it's almost like in making these statements, like, you want to spell out the criteria that would be required for them to be the case. And I think, I think with the Linux desktop, you could probably come up with some, like, I mean, this is an example of what we were talking about earlier, where like probably the simplest explanation is what works. And like, well, the reason the Linux desktop doesn't work is because one, no one, not enough people want it to. And two, like you can't get software for it. And three, <laughs> it's like hard to buy. And so like, if all those things were satisfied, it might be cool. Like there's less easier things to quantify, like, it doesn't have good usability, right? Which is like, I don't know, call up Shuttleworth and he'll show you why you're wrong or something, right? I don't know if he cares about that anymore, but. But to your point, like, I think it's fencing the problem and saying, hey, this is this is where we want to work on it and this is where we're going to get better. And then these are some places where it's it's pretty far out to the point of like, it's not going to get fixed anytime soon. Like I said, the, and I, and someone hit me up in the chat and said, hey, you know, you, you expect all the developers to work on vacation, which I really don't. And and I'll give you a better example. Maybe maybe the other one is just like, you know, in the fullness of time, um, there will only be uh, streaming movies. It's like, okay, well, that's great. Well, what happens when you go on the airplane, you go on vacation, you're in someplace that doesn't have connectivity? It's so great to just hit download, you know, download the movie, mm-hmm. download your favorite playlist, and just at least have it where where you are. Um, so you can use it. And I just think like, that's the point of like so many of these conversations is it just seems like, you know, like stop, get away from the, if you're saying in the fullness of time, like you've already, you know, stop, don't do that. Stop doing that. And and so, so I guess what you would have to do, I mean, it's a good, it's a good analogy is like you, you would also want the ability 
to download your development environment. Which, Absolutely. Which in yeah. theory you could do. And then the only problem you're going to encounter is like, well, yeah, if you want to use like the publicly hosted text messaging sending system, I can't download the internet for you. And so the best, the best that I can do is to like, and I think our friend Charles Lowell actually works on this kind of thing at his company now uh, as some free advertising. But like the best you can do is kind of like mock out what it looks like so that right. at least you can make calls to it. So, you know, that would be the, that would be, uh, you know, some of the context of a compromise is like, well, we think that like 10 to 15 percent of the time you'll have to work offline. So <clears throat> we can download the development environment that you have if you accept a limitation that you can't work on everything. Right. So what you're going to have to do if you're working offline is to like go look up the stories or whatever the fuck you want to call them <laughs> that like you can do without having to interact with global Internet based systems. And then you can work on that like you could work on the UI. Right. And I think that leads to like, you know, probably, you know, I'm sure you have opinions in your map, but like whatever, like that's an interesting solution. Maybe it's a bunch of Docker images. Maybe it's that. And it's just sort of like it gets you into like something that's much more tangible, like. Oh, this does make sense. Like normally I just run all these images. I run it all here. And then, you know, the metaphor of just like on my iPad, I just hit download. And I know when I download it, like there's some limitations on an iPad. I can only do a few things with it. Right. And it's like, that's okay. And it's like, like to me, it's a much better conversation than in like the fullness of time. Everything will be streaming. That's great. <laughs> I was, I still going to Mexico next week and I still want to take some movies with me. Can we talk yeah, about that and, problem? And, and there was a, a thread about um, CICD tools where they identified that as a, a source of developer friction was the fact that now I have to wait on something online. You know, now I, I make my commits and I can't, I don't, I, I'm losing that rapid local cycle because I have to upload it, wait for some, you know, offsite, you know, offsite tools to wake up, see my changes, run through a test suite. Whereas before I, you know, it, it maybe it took a long time to set up, but once it was once it was set up, I, I had that rapid feedback loop of I can make a code change, check it locally before I push it somewhere to see if it still passes the test suite. So, you know, yes, things are going to move you know to the cloud, but you still need that local presence because it's faster. And I, I think I think also something, you know, maybe the way we solve this whole problem is that like if you can't access your online thing then what that really just means is you are you have been granted uh basically some micro pto that is unaccounted for and <laughs> i, and I down, baby. May, maybe i'm from coffee break maybe yeah. if we position it that way people just won't worry about it it'll be like yeah i, I mean if you can't reach it then then you don't need to work i i, I think you just break. discovered our, our new cryptocurrency micro ptos <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, speaking of micro PTOs, uh, I, I know that if you are looking for some micro PTO time, uh, you might be thinking, I would like to take the paperback off of some sort of adhesive. Or have I ever told you that, that Kim, my wife, says ad adhesive? Like she, we had this ongoing conversation about how to pronounce adhesive. But <laughs> if she was Australian, it might be additive. You know, oh yes. What? <laughs> if 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 you for some reason have to put a bunch of stickers on things and you are thinking you might get some micro PTO because of how long it takes you to uh, take that back off of a sticker, definitely don't get free stickers from us because those stickers are easy to stick somewhere. Now, if people wanted software defined talk stickers, Brandon, because they need to get back to their work, uh this is really a bad pitch for getting stickers, but they are free. <laughs> what what would they do? Uh, they would send an email with their postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk 
com, and I will be happy to send them a sticker anywhere in the world or multiple stickers. It's uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. It's a lot of vacation. So uh, feel free to put them on your uh, your Yeti cups, your coolers, your bikes, uh, or your notebooks, whatever, whatever you, wherever you need to, to use them. Just let me know how many you need. I, w- I went on a three-hour boat tour recently of, of the canals of Amsterdam. <laughs> Highly recommended. That should have been my recommendation. But you could also bring those stickers and, like many people do, slap them up to uh, bridges as you go underneath them. uh, Tiger Bridge. Thank you. Any other bureaucracy, Brandon? We do. We have a couple things here. So Michael Israel uh, wrote in. He is the head of innovation and led the development of the Apple wallet badges that we discussed a few weeks ago at the building, 187 building out in Chicago. So uh, one, he said, hey, we're ever in Chicago to let him know and he'd come by and give us a tour. Two, he sent me a link to a demo video. So if you want to, you can watch have a little a very well produced uh, demo video of like how it all works so you can kind of see like people uh opening uh the doors there with just their iPhones. Uh too, I also thought this building was awesome. It has like a gym in it. I was like this building's fantastic. So I don't know. I don't I don't know for some reason you're looking for real estate in Chicago. I was like I would add this to my list. And at the end, um they also had a BMW uh, set up with uh, the keyless, I guess it's not keyless. It's a uh, the iPad, or sorry, you can use the iPhone to unlock your BMW. So that's in the demo video as well. So really cool. I thought it was the whole thing was was pretty cool. So I did email him. He hasn't gotten back to me. I said, okay, what about if you got to show a photo? I think in this case, it doesn't. It's just like you know, this is just access to the building. You'd have like you know, your employee would have some other. Uh, your employer potentially could have other limitations. And then I asked him about the Android people. Like, do they have to use cards? So he hasn't got me back. Yeah, but I'm sure he'll uh, uh, send it. So check it out, though. It's a fun demo video. It's kind of cool to see it uh, all working. Um, and actually, the car key one was the one that was more like, oh, this would be great. I don't have to carry around the stupid key fob. I'm like, you know, talk about, uh, I don't know, developer toil. I guess, what is that, driver toil? Just like, oh, this is another little headache. It'd be great to get rid of that. Um, so check all that out. And then a couple jobs to hit on. So one, uh, Chase wants you to work at the... Uh, Oh, let's see. What is it here? Octus Energy Group. Octopus. Yeah. I don't know. Octopus. So I, it's uh, people in the Slack are saying it's great. I don't know anything about it, but like it looks like a cool energy platform, and it looks like they're hiring people everywhere. So uh, platform engineers in the UK and APAC and a whole bunch of opportunities globally. And people in the Slack really think it's a great energy company. I don't know, Coach. Are you using this? Is this a, has this found its way into uh, Amsterdam? Ever heard of it? No. All right. Well, you know, that's our, that's our entire review. And then uh, Matt, uh, Matt Ray, our own Matt Ray is out here recruiting. So Matt, it looks like you're hiring what a, a product manager at, uh, oh, at least we, at we, least. we got, we got jobs for everything. So uh, come work at uh coop cost. All right. It's a fun place. Yeah. Yeah. So check it out, check all that out. And then of course we already hit on the stickers. So, uh, you know, hit me up with some, and uh, we'll send you stickers wherever, wherever you need them all over the world. That's it. You can you can find out how much Kubernetes actually costs. You can, y'all can use that one for free, Matt Ray. Just put, <laughs> put it on put it on the website. I really think we'll the reason here is like you can go work work uh, with Matt Ray, and Matt Ray will complain about you behind his back as a product manager. He no, no, product, he's like those product back. managers. They just don't. I, I'm a straight shooter. To your straight face. shooter, direct direct <laughs> feedback there. At Cube cost. Yeah. Oh, we should throw out one other thing. There was actually an interview with uh, Cube Cost. Uh, I don't know. Was he the CEO or with founder? Web. Yes. On podcast, uh, yeah. we should put that in there. So if you really want to know what's going on, don't listen to this podcast. Go listen to that one, and they explain it all. Because you can find out how much Kubernetes actually costs. 
I'm, I'm going, I'm gunning for that one. Just, just keep going, Ed. Keep going with it. Never gets well, old. There's a lot of conferences going on, uh, which there's a lot. In fact, many of them are, are ones that I'm involved. Now, this is not a conference, but on August 4th, which is next week, uh, I'm, I'm doing a webinar about platform engineering. Now, I very rarely say webinar. I say talk because uh, I think people are put off by webinar. But our audience is so sophisticated that they will see through my uh, my synergistic la-di-da talk. Uh, but, you know, you can it's, it's a webinar, so it's free. You should sign up for it. Uh, and there'll be a link to that. If you want to get a, if you want to click on that or all these jobs we mentioned, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 370 and find links to them. Also, uh, later on in August, I'll be giving a keynote uh, along with all sorts of other people at DevOps Days DFW, August 24th to 25th. And then uh, there's also VMware Explorer the week after that. I'm going to be in the U.S. for two weeks. Uh, that's going to be August 29th and 1st. I have two talks there. And uh, I was just catching up with our old friend Alex Williams of the New Stack, and he and I are going to have a little video theater set up where we're going to interview a bunch of people as sort of like a uh, little little DevOps loop at VMworld nice. uh, sort of thing. So that'll be fun. Will there be pancakes too? I don't know if we're paying him enough for pancakes. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll bring some in, and Alex and I that that's might that the, would be that's the New Stack. I, I probably will totally forget this, but that would be a great, like, only only the real heads will know if I just have a stack of pancakes that we never acknowledge on the desk and start eating, and it'll be a, it'll be a fun little reference there. I, I should work that in to find all these visual things uh, that people would uh, would know. And there's a bunch of other, there's a few other confer- conferences, the Spring One Platform One, and that conference uh, has a CFP open for January uh, in Texas. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 370, you can find links to all of that stuff. And also a link of joining our Slack where we discuss all sorts of things throughout the week, links we talk about, other stuff like that. You know, what Matt Ray is up to in his uh, his computer lab, you can you can participate in what, whatever the fuck that's about. Uh, and... <laughs> and enjoy it now with that brandon what do you have to recommend this week yeah just one more plug for the slack slack was really on fire this week i just want to say if you're the type of person that has like a box of cables and um you just won't throw them out you should join the software to find talk slack at one point people were posting pictures of their cable boxes and i gotta say felt i felt uh, i felt at home i was like these are my people i'm glad everyone had them and uh yeah there's a lot of matt ray in there and there was even a little week this week well we'll just leave it for next time uh matt ray urgent care super glue finger i'm not going to say anything else just you know there's another another reason you can hear about things in the slack um my recommendation this week is uh i was lucky enough to be on vacation uh last week in mexico had a great time and uh my son has gotten to the age of where I, uh it's like well you know we're trying to travel more, like to do more international travel. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try to get him into global entry. So a few months ago, I was like, I, I got to want to get ahead of this. So I did the application. Uh, and then it's very hard to get a global entry interview appointment in the United States. I don't know why. Just like everyone. It's just so I, it's like four months out from that I could get an appointment. And I discovered this thing. Uh, I don't know exactly why it exists, but it's great. It's called enrollment on arrival. So if you've per- completed all your paperwork and you're just waiting for the interview, uh, when you fly back into the United States and you're going through uh, immigration, they most of the airports, many of the airports in the United States offer enrollment on arrival. So you just say, in this case, we walked up, we, we kind of got through past our immigration. We said, hey, we'd like to do enrollment on arrival. We've completed the application. So they sent us over to a little waiting room, uh, waited for about five minutes, and then they called um, 
my son up, you know, to do the interview, like at like the little uh, cubicles that you go through when you go through like kind of passport control. And they, they quickly did the interview they asked him a few questions. They took his fingerprints and boom, he was done. And it was all like, didn't have to have an appointment. You just walk in. So if for some reason you are trying to get global entry, if you don't have it, I highly recommend that program. If, if you travel, even I think a few international trips, it definitely pays for itself. Um, but if you're trying to get it done and you're trying to figure out how to get the interview, check out this enrollment on arrival. It was really easy here in Austin. And it looks like most of the major international hubs here in the U.S. offer it. So I don't know. I thought, Matt Ray, maybe your, your kids, as they're getting older, if, they're, if they want to travel when they uh, fly yeah. into uh, um, maybe one of their uh, international destinations in the United States, like they, they seem like perfect candidates to maybe get it done. So they, I don't know. They, they are Try still... They're still a little shell-shocked from the time I tried to drag them through global entry without it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Needless maybe... to say, we got yelled at by immigration. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So maybe that's a, it's a good way to do it. So I don't know. Especially, I think, if you live abroad and you're, like, coming into the country, like, do all your paperwork ahead of time and then yeah. enrollment on arrival. And then so I also learned, then I was like, well, what about Mexico? How can I get, uh, you know, something similar there? Turns out there's a reciprocal program now. Man, I'm going to try to say it in the Spanish, so God help us. Uh, Valero con, Confiable? <laughs> anyway, that's their uh, global entry uh, program. Just punched out midway through there. <laughs> I did. I did not. I just don't know how to say it there. There's, I mean, in Spanish, too. So anyway, there's now reciprocal programs. So they ha- uh, Mexico has a global entry program. And, um, and if you're in the U.S. global entry program, you can apply to get into the Mexico one and vice versa. So it's like, I don't know. Maybe that'll be next year's challenge. Can I get uh, the whole family to do, to do it? But I don't know, Matt Ray, I maybe need some help. It's like, okay, the pain of going, we have to get to the Cancun airport and then we would have to actually do the interview. And I don't know if people will complain more about that. Like, why are we doing this, dad? We could just go. I'll be like, but in the future, it'll be so much faster. I don't know if the it's payoff like will, will be enough. Yeah, I don't know if the- It is tech debt, right? Um, are, are, you hit, are you hitting it every week or are you hitting it quarterly? I mean- that's, Yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's the whole point. It's like, yes, yeah, so we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But this, I don't know. I would love to know if someone did it. This, uh, if any yeah. listeners have, uh, if you're a US citizen and you've successfully applied for uh, the Mexico program, which I will not uh, say again and not embarrass myself, I would love to hear if you actually did it and it, it worked out for you. So let me know. How about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you have to recommend? Well, uh, you know, every time we do travel internationally, my kids are like, why don't we have global entry? I'm like, because you travel once a year. So, yeah, I'm eating that tech debt. Um, my uh, my picks this episode are, I, I've got a pair. Uh, the first is, as as we've alluded to, I've been doing a lot of uh, updates to the, the home office. I, I just moved, uh, I don't know, three weeks, a month ago. And so had to rewire things. Um, I got myself the Synology MR2200AC mesh Wi-Fi router. Mm. Now, uh, I needed this because uh, my internet connection is in the very front of the house and my wife's office is at the very back of the house. And so uh, it was too much of a long haul. And the uh, uh, power over ethernet or or ethernet over power just doesn't cut it. Um, And so uh, I got this... uh, Synology has a, a mesh router that works with your existing Synology uh, router. If you have uh, like the RT2600 or, or the newer one. Um, and then it, it has a, a, an internal testing tool. So you can actually test the bandwidth um, connection as you move it around. So you can get like, what's the fastest connection I can possibly have? What's the best mm. location? Uh, it turned out for me, uh, it was, you know, cut out as many brick walls as possible even though it's a, a longer line, there's no brick. 
and it worked well. I, I get about uh, 250 uh, megabytes, megabytes, megabytes per second um, between routers. And now my wife doesn't have drop-offs on her calls. So uh, good investment. That's that's my recommendation. Uh, my, my second recommendation, we've been doing all this talk about uh, maintenance and, and, and whatnot. Uh, there's an interesting uh, his, historical story uh, from, uh, I think, Stuart Brand. Uh, called the maintenance race. It's a work in progress, but it's uh, it's just to talk about uh, racing around the world on a boat, uh, the first uh, single person race. And so uh, different approaches to maintenance. It worked out well. So go uh, go read that. It's the best business book because it's not a book. It's just uh, some stories with no conclusion. <laughs> mm. People <laughs> maintenance. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you uh, you're using megabytes instead of megabits or like octabits or something. Yes, you know, just like I, I feel like I've gone on this rant many times before, but like everything should just be in in megabytes or yes. you know, gigabytes. Like we don't, <laughs> but, but we don't need to fuck around with faster. each other. Yeah, it, yes. it just it's very distracting. We, we oh, the network that. engineers just ended the podcast. But go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and, and and anything other than base ten can go fuck itself. That's that's that's. <laughs> oh, we just lost a hexadecimal crew <laughs> oh, too. Shit, on, okay. we're just You're losing listeners left and right. You know, you've I, already I, attended the Celsius people left a long time ago. So, geez. and I, I I know I know there's some people who they either like are yes or no. Like they're they just like there's no nuance between uh, what what they like or not. Little little uh, counting system jokes there for you. Anyhow, so my recommendation, I went through. Yet another bowl of the uh, the the Truffet and Hill or Truffet and Hill shaving cream, the Trafalgar edition, and uh, you know I've had this for a long time. My my wife bought this for me for my birthday or Father's Day, some special occasion, many many years ago. And I've bought many of these little bowls, and you get yourself a little shaving cream brush. I think mine is actually made out of horse hair. I don't think it's like you know beaver or badger. Yeah. But it's just like a little special treat every time you shave. I'd like to say every day, but I don't actually bathe every day. But it's a, it's a fun little thing to have to kind of brush that on, and it smells good. And I don't know. I think it's like $15 a bowl, so maybe I'm like living the high life or something. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure I like save money somewhere else by not taking a shower every day. Imagine all the water <laughs> savings. Uh, but that's what I would recommend. You can buy it on Amazon, other places like that. Easy to acquire. Uh, you should look into that. Well, as always, uh, you know, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 370. You can also just knock that 370 off there. Don't go to 370. I don't know where that goes. That depends on your, kind of your Google search history. But you could just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and see uh, all the past episodes and how to do stuff that you might be interested in. <laughs> With that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. I feel like the core issue with all metrics is people don't actually go back every one to three months and revisit them and revise them with as much energy as they put into the initial one. So, you know, three to 12 months later, you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when that was a good idea. That was cool back then. Love that time. Hey, for all the streamers, we, we'll give them a little heads up. It looks like... Uh... Looks like we're going to do some type of Austin, I don't know, hesitate to call it a meetup. Maybe just a happy hour kind of thing. What do we say, Cote? Looks like it's going to be August 27th. So uh, next show, maybe we'll have some details. If you want to meet up with Cote and anyone else here in Austin, um, it'll be fun. I'm sure we can buy software to find talk and at least buy. At least I think I have approval for a round of drinks with the CFO, but we'll see. 
Maybe we can do more. Maybe we, we can. Get some we can. Maybe we could go to like Tamale House, have some tacos, Ooh. and although although we went there, Kim and I went there recently, and like you know, I went to high school with one of the people in the Tamale House family, and I love their salsa, but like their breakfast tacos were like six dollars or something, and I get it. Everyone always tells me Austin has changed, but like I mean, come on. 